the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and I'm very excited about our guest today, Maria Francesca French. Maria is a post-Christian thinker and writer who has spent most of her career in theological education uh, in the evangelical world, um, partly, uh, uh, teaching in places like um, an AG uh, college, uh, uh, North Central College, and some other schools. And um, she's been a professor and an administrator, and she holds two Masters of Arts and a Doctor of Ministry degree. Uh, she work, works in innovative church contexts, planting and de denominational leadership, and she's focused on the intersections of faith and culture. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I think that's the first time I've ever been introduced with an AG reference in my, in my bio. Well, we want to put this in context, Maria. You're yeah. coming from an Assembly of God background, so this is very important to know. <laughs> I'm sure the AG would love to love to know. Yeah, that. but I mean the, the people, our audience, are, from me. Yeah, yeah, our audience is mostly post-evangelicals. Uh, maybe some who are sneaking a peek and they're disillusioned and, and within the yeah. evangelical movement still. And you know, it's important to get some context of where where your background Absolutely. was. But uh, we're going to talk about your book today, uh, "Safer yes. Than the Known Way: A Post-Christian Journey." And, and we're going to find out what it means and why your ideas, I really think, are critical to the conversation about deconstruction. And Thank one you. of the reasons I wanted you on the podcast is because the community of post-evangelicals, and I, like I said, even some that are still in it and disillusioned and kind of peeking around the corner, mm -hmm. uh, I think will really benefit from the ideas in your book, uh, especially this notion that there's a lesser known path uh, mm -hmm. outside what we might think. Uh, as a destination would be after you leave conservative Christianity. You know, like most people maybe go into a progressive Christian faith or sometimes yeah. swing to the other side and get become agnostic or atheist. But you're talking about, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, a path for us who still believe in, um, you know, the mystery of life and, and uh, some kind of a sense of the uh, a, a, a source of life uh, in God or whatever you want to call it or him or her, uh, but they, they feel trapped in some of the old ideas and constructs that we've come out of. And, uh, and I think what you're going to be doing today is explaining some of that, uh, that you can work within another construct and come up 
and decide how you're going to re reconstruct uh, after evangelicalism. And I think I'm really interested to hear you explain what it means to be post-Christian, but not necessarily post-Jesus. Hmm. So I think uh, a good place to start would be to, you know, ask you, um, why did you write the book and what do you hope for it to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wrote the book for a few reasons. Um, I'll start out by saying that I essentially wrote the book that I wish I had when I started oh, right. exploring Good. some yeah. of this stuff and yeah. started moving outside the bounds of traditional notions of God and Christianity and belief and faith and church and meaning making and, and all of those things. You know, the last few years, this idea of deconstruction has really come to the fore. And, you know, the conversations are happening in all sorts of really wonderful um, public ways because of social media, you know, conversations that maybe you would have had in the 90s or the early 2000s, sort of in the shadows, were now really kind of being lifted up and front and center. And the communities were growing because people felt camaraderie. They felt, you know, a sense of belonging and togetherness. And, you know, like they're doing this together with someone, someone's partnering with them. And this whole sense of deconstruction, which is, you know, the term that the pop culture movement, you know, has decided to, to go by you know, in terms of their process of dismantling and disentangling from toxic forms of Christianity, usually it's evangelicalism or fundamentalism or something like this. Um, but, you know, as someone who has taken a lot of time to study New Testament and hermeneutics and philosophical deconstruction and continental philosophy and just a lot of different ways of engaging meaning and life past religion, mm -hmm. um, the term deconstruction is actually a philosophical term, and it was originally applied to literature and interpretation, and it was, you know, put out there by the likes of Martin Heidegger, and then really expounded upon by Jacques Derrida, and then, you know, made theologically accessible through scholars like Mark Taylor and Karl Roschke, and, you know, now Jack Caputo. And so I was really interested that they chose this term deconstruction, in which no connection was made to the philosophical idea of deconstruction. And so my ears really started to perk up, and I really started to listen and kind of you know, watch what was going on and, you know, see all the memes and the podcasts and the stories and the social media accounts. And I just thought to myself, because and in the deconstruction community, there was also a lot of reconstruction happening right away. You know, they right. were tearing down one form of God and reconstructing or constructing another God, a nicer one, a more generous one, one that was, you know, inclusive and anti-racist and, you know, social justice oriented and all of these beautiful things, values in which I share but they were still constructing another God of agency intervention and one that lives in the sky, you know, one mm -hmm. that they sort of mm -hmm. claim to deconstruct from. So they were just reconstructing that same idea of God, that God was just playing for the other team. And I, mm -hmm. I still found that pro problematic in some ways. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been doing this sort of work for at least 10 years, maybe a little bit more, but I wanted to create something where I could, essentially offer all of the work, <laughs> all of the research, all of the degrees, all of the engaging church, all of the grief, all of the madness, all of the loneliness, all of the, the happiness and the victories, the travel, the risk-taking, mm -hmm. the sometimes winning, sometimes losing, sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes getting it right. I wanted to put it all together and offer it to you know this wider conversation that's happening about faith 
in the West, because a lot of the work I do is centered in a brand of theological thought known as radical theology. It comes out of the death of God movement of the 60s, which ultimately came out of some of the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche. And, you know, a lot of this stuff um, tends to really stay caught in the ivory tower of the academy or even seminaries. Not really, though, because a lot of this work is is considered fringe, even for seminaries. Right. So um, I had to obviously follow my own interests to, you know, follow some of these, these paths in this uh, thought. But I wanted to basically create a resource where I took some of this super transformative thought that could actually really be useful if it was made available and accessible to an everyday reader and, and put it in a book and offer it up. And so that's essentially what, <laughs> what Good. I've done. I've tried to hit like the various components of questions that I might've had while I was going through some of the stuff because it took me years and I would have loved to have a book um, like I've yeah, just written. I think, yeah. When you say it took me years, I think that's really key because in my experience, like you said, sometimes people deconstruct all the negative, the toxic mm -hmm. theology, and then they immediately pivot. And well, and I, you know, I, I did that to some degree. I mean, you, you kind of realize, no, wait a minute, Jesus is much more progressive than they're saying. <laughs> it's like, and you come up with something, but you really don't know what to do. I mean, you're yeah. kind of like, well, what do I do now? I remember thinking that over and over again. What, what, how do I describe myself? Yeah. I still, you know, I still had some elements of faith. I still um, considered myself following uh, the teachings of Jesus, but I was completely out of the box when it came yeah. to all these other these other paradigms that the, ch the conservative church was in and sometimes even the, the liberal church. So, but mm -hmm. a, 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 another thing to keep in mind that I learned was uh, people go at different paces. And so yeah. when you deconstruct and you trying to come up with something else, your deconstruction might take years, your reconstruction is going to take years. And so um, uh, sometimes we, uh, we get impatient with people. You're not moving fast enough. What's wrong with you? Haven't you? Well, we get impatient with ourselves right too. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're just so wired as a species, as humanity, we're just so addicted to knowledge. You know, we just want to know. It's the thing that drove us to Christianity in the first place. We needed to right. know that there was a starting point, that there was an underlying meaning to all of this stuff. <laughs> right, um, right. And then we're driven away from it for various reasons, but we still need that sort of bedrock meta narrative piece holding us together. And so we really scramble to try and find that cohesion that we still really want. And part of the work of deconstruction and really part of the work of being post-Christian, and I know you want to talk about that and we can talk about that in a bit, um, is learning to just give yourself time and to sit in that sort of, if I could use a biblical example of sackcloth and ashes and just right. take some time to sit and be like, I don't know. And that's okay. I've experienced a lot of loss and it sucks, but it's okay. And it's going to be okay. And it's also like finding that path of when I do come around to some sort of faith engagement again, not holding that faith engagement to a promise that it simply can't deliver on. And I think mm -hmm. so many times Christianity, you know, will promise a sense of wholeness and completion and healing and health and, you know, that, that there's essentially a light at the end of the tunnel and there's a reason why we're doing all of this. And the truth is that in life, there just are no guarantees and that sometimes we quest and we journey just for the sake of it. Yeah, and, right. you know, so, I mean, that's, that's part of it. That's a small part of it, but um, 
it's it's yeah it's a very <laughs> very complex thing to talk about being post-christian well let, let's talk about let's put your, your your ideas in context a little bit before we get into the other questions and you, yeah. you describe yourself as post-christian but i think at one point you said that doesn't necessarily mean post jesus what, what do you mean by that yeah so i i call myself post-christian um and essentially post-theist and post-god and you know a lot of post things um mm -hmm. <laughs> because it means i've <laughs> yeah exactly i've i've moved past them in a sense i've moved mm -hmm. i've i've been all around them i've lived in them i've been under them and over them and on the side of them and now i'm just moved on from them i'm past them but these stories still hold me they have still been formative and shaping stories and it is still what the better part of my life has essentially been devoted to and held by and I'm not done with that story yet. And I don't think that story is done with me. And so while I'm done with traditional expressions of it, I am still asking questions of how do we make meaning in this paradigm? I'm just, sure. I've just completely reoriented, you know, the directionality um, at which I come at some of this stuff. So, right. you know, the, the post piece is important because when we talk about theism and atheism, right? Atheism, that those, and I say atheism just to sort of, you know, um, differentiate, I suppose, the the theism from the, the atheism. It just sounds a little bit better, I guess, when you say it like that to make a point. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, you know, you're you're on a sliding scale of existence, of being, of agency, you know, that there there is a God that exists in the sky or there isn't. And those are mm -hmm. your two choices when it comes to faith and Christianity and religion and you know, you have to check one of those boxes. And I think what we've been seeing for the last 10 to 15 years, you know, what um, polls and surveys like Gallup and Pew Research and, you know, all sorts of studies have shown us the steep decline is absolute faith crisis because, you know, we, we move on in sense of our, in the sense of our um, reason and our intellect and even our postmodern sensibilities. And we can't quite believe or sign our name on the dotted line to some of these religious notions any longer. And mm -hmm. so we automatically think that equals atheism or at best agnosticism, because it's just on that sliding scale of we have to believe right. this or this. Right. And people are falling through the cracks. They're, they're going through incredible identity crisis and loss because for most Christians, you know, it's not just like a job they do or a hobby they have. It is, you know, the absolute foundation of who they are. And they've invested their their life and their money and their time and their energy and every value they have and every thought that they have. Like it all goes into right. this understanding of the Judeo-Christian God and having a personal relationship with, with that God. And so when that starts to fall apart or sort of vaporize into the background a little bit, you know, you just, you, you kind of look around and, and you just think, you know, what, what do I even have left? And so the first thing about the post language is getting off of that sliding scale of mm -hmm. existence. God exists mm -hmm. or doesn't, I believe, mm -hmm. or I don't. It's saying we can leave all of that in our dust because those are actually really kind of modern 20th century ways of understanding faith engagement. And mm -hmm. we can actually deal in theological realities rather than empirical ones. And I talk a little bit about that in the book. Um, what does it look like to be transformed and expose ourselves to some of these theological realities and make the empirical ones, you know, completely obsolete? <laughs> right. So right. that's why I use that that post language. It's it's post theist as opposed to theist or atheist. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's post Christian mm -hmm. as opposed to Christian. Or right. Well, I think for me and many people, um, the word Christian 
and the word yeah. Christianity are loaded terms. Absolutely. And, 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 and that's one of the thing, re reasons, even when I was an evangelical, I didn't like to say I was a Christian. <laughs> yeah. I called myself a follower of Christ or something. Same. But, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I never did like that because it had, so, it had so many implications. Oh, you're a Christian. And you know, who knows what they're thinking, you know? Yeah. Like, so, um, but but now when you deconstruct, you, you have that same dilemma. Oh, okay. Am I going to still be in the Christianity realm or yeah. is what I'm discovering really completely outside of that? And, and I, and, and my writing, uh, when I, I, I look into history of the first century Jesus movement, actually the first couple hundred years. And, yeah. and you realize that actually Christianity didn't even exist during that time. The way we think of Christianity sure. <laughs> didn't even exist. Yeah. So there's, so there's, you, you can, you can uh, uh, get out of that, that, that paradigm of Christianity and, and even, even still have faith in, let's say Jesus or, or whatever you want to call yourself. And, and, and most people don't really understand that, that it's just like, Oh, it's so black and white. Like you said, like you said, and that's the issue, right? It's so black and white. Yeah. Your choices that, you know, but that's not really reality. Uh, right. It's not reality. And it's not how we work as humans. It's not how our brain works. It's just not how anything <laughs> unfolds yeah, right. In, right. in our lives. There's so right. many layers to, to everything. And I mean, I, I, I think you read the book um, all the way through. So you might've, you know, read about, you know, the different parts where I, criticize not only conservative evangelicalism, but also liberal progressive Christianity as yeah. well, mm -hmm. you know, because essentially they've taken, like I said earlier, you know, um, uh, the same construct, but have just given this construct nicer values and just made them, you know, align more with, with their values. And so, you know, as someone who writes on Pathios and, you know, is in part of some of these communities, you know, that thought is being put out there in a public way, I'm reading all the time, you know, liberal Christians talking about like, you know, this is really what Jesus meant. And this is really what Jesus was like. And you guys are getting Jesus wrong. And Jesus is really mm -hmm. like this. And I think that is really dangerous also. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that can be really problematic because the truth is we we don't really know <laughs> what Jesus was like. Mm -hmm. We we have the gospels, we have Paul's writings, you know, which are pretty different, but you know, that's a topic for another right. day. Um, you know, but we do our best to use the interpretive tools we have to try and get at who Jesus may have been, you know, who the text constructs Jesus as. And for me now, like, obviously, you talked a little bit about my background as an evangelical, as someone who was charismatic and Pentecostal for a lot of years. You know, I had that relationship with Jesus. I had that, like, Jesus is that friend closer than a brother. And I was young at the time. So, you know, Jesus was my boyfriend and, mm -hmm, you know, he right. was my best friend and, you know, he was the one I prayed to. And, you know, when I went on, I was in theater. And so when I went on auditions, I would just pretend Jesus was sitting in the front row and I would sing to him and I wouldn't be nervous. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, right. this was so much a part of my life. And at this, and definitely son of God and savior of my sins and giver eternal life and all of these things. And now that I've moved on from some of those theological ideas and doctrines, you know, I still engage Jesus, but not like that, not like that at all. Now I prefer to be the one sort of in the back of the room when everyone else is really close up listening to Jesus speak or who wants to be at his feet or, you know, the woman anointed him with oil or do you know what I mean? Just, you know, Nicodemus on top, but, you know, of the tree kind of trying to get at you. Now I just kind of want to 
be an observer. I want to see how Jesus is moving and, and how people are interacting with him and, and what, what he might be saying right, here and what right. he might be whispering. Do you know what I mean? So the, yeah. the orientation to all that has changed. So I'm not really interested in even saying like, um, yeah, like move on from Christianity because Jesus is really what we want and what we need. Like it really is a reassessment um, <laughs> just really across the board. Yeah, of, of step back and reassess what's really going on. I understand that. Yeah. 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 I, I might disagree with you sometimes because of okay. I, I'm really into history and yeah. I, I do it. I do think it's important that we know what Jesus and Paul meant when they when they supposedly said certain things, because when we when we get into the historical context of um, the cultural context, when they lived and 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 wrote, yeah. we 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 can see what they say in a very different light. I mean, it well, just and I would I would totally agree with you there. Yeah, right. 100%. So it's just it's right. But you, one of the things that you said was that you um you re, you finally came to the point where you rejected the uh, personal savior depiction that conservative Christianity teaches, and uh, um you know like. Uh, everything was about the individual being yeah. saved by Jesus. And it, it, usually it's from, uh, you know, s from sin and from hell. And, and, and you, if, if you don't do that, um, you're on dangerous ground and everything. Well, well, tell us about your thinking, how you, you evolved out of that. Yeah. I mean, it was really a personal journey rather than an, an academic or a theological one. It had everything to do with, um, my experience. And, you know, it was a slow melt for me. It's definitely not something that happened overnight. That, that presence that I was so sure about just started to sort of become less and less. The desire to commune with God in this way or Jesus in this way became less and less. Um, I felt less and less need to consult with agency outside of myself. Um, yeah, it was it was just really a slow melt or a slow churn kind of away from that particular engagement with with God or Jesus or the spirit or sort of whatever you, you want to say. It was still important to me how we make meaning out of Christianity and what this means for us as a society, because in general, we really can't understand the West as a whole outside of, you know, Judeo Christian mm -hmm. values. I mean, it's it's structured like that. So it's it's super important and it's really important for millions of people everywhere who, again, going back to what I just said earlier about the faith crisis, who really feel like they need somewhere to land now um, that they've moved past some of this stuff. So I think it didn't really scare me that I was no longer finding this a need or useful I just for the first time in a long time when it was happening, which would have been around the time I was 30, 31 ish. So, well, probably late 20s to early 30s, because it, it really did take a while. And, you know, life was I was going through some stuff at the time in the first chapter of my book is pretty autobiographical. So, um, I, you know, I talk about going through a divorce and I talk about an unhappy marriage um, mm -hmm. you know, that I lived in in a long time as a result of evangelical expectation and, yes. you know, all of the things and, and some mm -hmm. hard choices that that I had to make, you know. But for me, I. Yeah, I, I just came to the conclusion eventually that the personal savior narrative, and I have nothing against it. You know, if people want to engage Jesus Christ as what they believe is savior, and that term is just so 
weird and loaded, but fine. This is no problem for me. I, I, I'm not coming for anybody's God or anybody's theology. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that is a private matter. <laughs> and it's really, if someone wants to ask me, you know, no, I'm not saying you, I mean, like in general, if someone's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, is Jesus Christ personal savior? It's like, well, this, this is really none of your business. You know, this is a, you know, who we interact when we're in prayer or on our own or these you know, spiritual practices that we have, this is an intensely personal matter. And I think when we bring it out and make it the litmus test for Christianity, or we make it a public matter where everyone has to say, you know, this, it just totally undermines the communal nature of Christianity in the first place when yes. we make, you know, um, the Jesus really, and, and mm -hmm. this relationship and the savior piece front and center, because it really isn't so much about the Jesus and me story. It's about the Jesus and humanity story and how we get to join and, and be a part of that theologically. Speaking. Yeah, no, no. What you just said is spot on. I mean, the, the, um, uh, the community is lost. And, and, and frankly, I would argue that Jesus didn't even teach that you should accept him as your personal savior. Well, I would, <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, where did that come from? I mean, and so that it, it's all this and it's all hinge. It's all, it's all like a, a narrative of, you have to be saved uh, because your sin is making God angry and you're going to go to hell if you don't get off this path. So you better accept Jesus as your savior. So there's so many problems with it. It's just it's just incredible. Jesus yeah. didn't teach it. Uh, the uh, it can be used for by people who just say, well, yeah, OK, I'm uh, I, I accepted Jesus. I got baptized. So I'm, I got I'm a Christian now. And. I don't have to really think about um, actually being a uh, someone who actually is Christ-like necessarily. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and uh, but I think that's probably the main. I totally agree. The community part too. I mean, it's just like, and and we had you know we have you you know that most evangelical uh, churches will will preach community and they get kind of cultic and and everything, but it's an us versus them mentality. And you have yeah. the first thing you got to do is 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 get get through jump through that hoop of getting saved, born again, accept Christ as your Savior uh, and Lord, and you know all that stuff. And um, it's so uh, narrow in its thinking. Um, yeah. I think, it, and I think what you're saying, it sounds like that you know getting outside of that uh, opens up the door to uh, different ways of understanding how to connect with with uh a divine source you know well i'm sorry i'll just correct you there um it actually for me it's not even about connecting with the divine source because yep. okay. that would be and and you know i know a lot of people including yourself are uh, on a different um, side of that than me and that's totally okay but for me i when i say post-christian and post-god what I also mean is post meta post the metaphysical God and post the supernatural God in any way that might show up. So mm -hmm. while there may be divinity to be had in terms mm -hmm. of a consciousness or a presence or a being or an energy or, you know, whatever word you want to use there mm -hmm. for me, I don't even engage that I'm, mm -hmm. I really am engaging on theological and narratival levels, mostly mm -hmm. because um, well, one, like, I don't think we could ever really truly know any of that. It's all sort of conjecture and speculation anyway. 
but if people stu- still really do care about Christianity and the values and the ethos um, and really even the framework that flows out of it for our own lives, then I do think we need to sort of deal with it on, on, a, on a theological basis. And by theological, I don't mean like highfalutin, heady understandings of some of the stuff, but like really what is, what's, what's arising out of the text, what's arising out of our experience, what's arising out of everything that we have known up until this point um, and sort of what's, what's to come, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, uh, In the book, you talk about what you call radical theology. And, uh, and I think that means where God, uh, God is more than um, a conservative punitive judge that we see on the conservative side or, and as you said, and, and different and outside what you called a liberal wet noodle, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, and you, you admit you find liberal Christianity is infinitely more, you know, bearable than evangelicalism. Very very much more bearable. (laughs) But the, still the constructs are, are the same you're saying. So let's, let's kind of dig into that. What, what do you mean by radical theology and what are these, why are the constructs the same? for both liberal and conservative Christianity? Yeah, very good question. So radical theology, which flows throughout my whole book, but I have a whole chapter um, designated to just that, chapter four, you know, like I said earlier, flows out of the Death of God movement of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, 1966, Time magazine has one of its most famous covers to date in, you know, black and yep. red letters, you know, is God dead, essentially. Right. And it shook up America, shook up Sunday morning pulpits. You know, you had people like Thomas Altizer, which, you know, he just passed in the last few years, major Death of God theologian, you know, um, William Hamilton and Gabriel Vahanian, like these guys are like the OG of like the death of God movements. And essentially mm-hmm. it was a brand of Christian atheism, uh, which engaged Christianity outside of its Christian God. Now it's had probably three or four waves and evolutions since then. And what we're seeing right now for engaging radical theology in 2023, I would say that it's really a fourth wave. So it's no longer Christian atheism, but it is this sense of, you know, and I open with these words from a, a radical theologian, Jeffrey Robbins, it opens the first chapter of my book, essentially, you know, a, a generation, you know, 50, 60 years out of the death of God movement, we're still not quite done with the word God yet. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is radical theology, that's post-Christianity. Um, and so when radical theologians are asking questions of God, they're not asking questions of being or existence or object or, you know, absoluteness or, you know, the underlying moral God consciousness, <laughs> like time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, essentially, they're trying to move from the high God, the powerful God, the mighty one that seeks kind of glory and all of that to a weak God. And, you know, a God and a theology and understanding of all of this stuff that really gets deep down into the roots of things. And Mm -hmm. radical theology sort of um, set up against confessional theology. And by confessional, I just mean, you know, um, traditional theology that confesses what we think we know about God, all that we know about God. Right, right. The the doctrines and the creeds and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And evangelicals mm-hmm. are the first to say we don't have doctrines and creeds, but absolutely, you know, you mm-hmm. just because there's not like a liturgical situation there doesn't mean there aren't doctrines. and There's, there's a lot of confessing of what we think we know about scripture and God and salvation and eternal life mm-hmm. and sin and all of these things. Radical theology actually subverts all of that. And it's more about what we don't know and whatever we have named God you know, God is actually unnameable and the big G God becomes the little G God. And instead of this powerful voice, it truly is this still small voice that disrupts us mm-hmm. in and interrupts us in ways that we can never anticipate. And every time we encounter this unanticipatable moment, it is different every time. It changes us every time. It's changed every time. You know, there's no expectation for it. And it's just sort of this wild, savage um you know, I want to say force, but that's, <laughs> that would give the wrong impression. But, but, but do you know what I mean? So, you know, where most traditional theologians might talk about God as object in being, a mm-hmm. radical theologian might talk about God in the sense of event and experience. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a little crash course on. Well, <laughs> what, what do you, uh, what would you be your take on uh, those who would say, um, instead of like God being, um, this outside being, you know, father in the sky kind of concept, but God is in all of us and in part of all creation. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me mm-hmm. totally. And I'm not coming for that mindset at all. It is just not um, a place from which I, I do theology or mm-hmm. this kind mm-hmm. of work because I do. And I think it's because for me, I was so bound for so many years by a particular brand of Christianity that I just refuse to be bound by anything anymore. And part of that unboundedness is being really honest with myself, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. really honest conversations about some of this stuff, about where I'm mm-hmm. at and what I really mean and what I really think. And, you know, it's fine for me, for anyone else to say that, but I know that if I were to say that, I would just be saying it because I would be trying to salvage something of what I once knew God was. And I'm really okay with sitting in, you know, if there is any loneliness, which there isn't so much anymore of like a a God figure, I'm really okay with sitting in, in the absence of a metaphysical supernatural God. I don't need it to be in me. I just need me to be in me. Do you know what I mean? Like my own agency now has become very important and it's of my own agency and my sound mind and my heart and my intellect and my soul and all of in which I've chosen to do the work of post-Christianity. Right. And, and that reminds me of uh, what's drilled into us in the fundamentalist evangelical paradigm is that you can't trust yourself exactly because (laughs) you are a (laughs) depraved, uh, you know, son or daughter of Adam. And, you know, you just, you're a piece of crap really without Jesus. And this is, and you can't trust yourself. And and that is so damaging. It's just it's incredible. so damaging. And I'm it, just done with it. And so maybe right. I'm done with it. So I can see that it. while you're like, well, I want, yeah, okay. <laughs> but that, so, that is sort of where I'm at. So. <laughs> right. I understand that completely. So, but I think yeah. that's part of it is like, you know, I mean, and for me, you know, I, I still retain some of the traditional Christian views, if you will. I just don't know what to call them <laughs> because, I mean, you know, the Bible, I mean, just because someone um, retains some of their traditional Christian 
views doesn't mean they believe the whole Bible or anything like that. It doesn't mean, you know, they, uh, my paradigm is completely different. And even though I'm not really where you are, uh, I, I just relate ex to exactly what you're doing. You know, yeah, that makes sure, sense. Absolutely. And Cause it's, it's, it's a, you know, you, you're getting yourself free from that uh, uh, old, um, that old world view of, of humans are pieces of shit and without Christ yeah. and, you know, yeah. God is angry at your sin and, you know, he's yeah. really going to, he's going to lay into you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you know, you, you said something interesting just before about like believing the Bible or, you know, you still believe certain parts of the Bible. And part of the work I do is actually kind of moving on from the word believe or belief yeah, let's um, talk about and, that. And sort of using that as faith. And yeah, let, let's, because that, that will be an interesting conversation. I'll be interested to hear some of your thoughts on this. Um, but in like, even in terms of the Bible and scripture, um, you know, we, we see a lot of things happening between Genesis and Revelation. You know, we see a murderous, genocidal God who is just unhinged and completely yeah, nuts. Right. You know, we we see the selfishness of humanity. We see the beauty of humanity. We can see other different um, historical events. And, you know, especially in the, in the Hebrew Testament, you know, um, other ancient Canaanite God narratives kind of coming into play and Baal and El and, you know, all of these things we see flood narratives, you know, we see, you know, so, so many meaning making stories that are so reflective of the times in which they were written in. And it's really interesting and really beautiful. And essentially we're just seeing generations and generations and history of, you know, a people and their interaction with their God and how this God continue to evolve and grow. Right, and we see right. the same thing in the New Testament. And so for me, I don't even have to say like, oh, this part of the Bible, I'm not sanctioning this because this is just really bad and awful and violent, or, you know, this seems really against women, or this seems really against, you know, the queer community. Like, you know, we can take it in all of its glorious, you know, fumbledness and complexity because it was written by humans that were beautiful, that were talking about their life and their meaning making, make, meaning making mechanisms with their God and their community. And so, mm -hmm. you know, again, the, the post-Christian piece mm -hmm. is, you know, you don't have to like pick and choose what you think you want to believe or don't want to believe because, you know, we're just dealing with all of this stuff on another level, which is just off of that, that continuum of is or, or isn't in those just false binary sort of ways and categories. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, um, uh, the way I approach the Bible now, and you may, I don't know what, you, if you, if you still see some things in there that are good, but I very mean, much so. <laughs> we, Beautiful we, well, that's the point I was going to make was, yeah. um, we're taught as uh, conservative Christians to believe uh, black and white about the Bible. Hey, it's either all true yeah, <laughs> or you're just a heretic apostate. Yeah. And you're, gonna, you're going to hell. I mean, it's just crazy. Doesn't and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Let's just take, let's think about this logically for a second. Okay. How many people wrote the Bible? Okay. We've got a lot of different authors. I don't know. I mean, I, my, my research tells me four or five people wrote Genesis because, yeah. because of the different types of narratives that obviously aren't the same author. And then yeah. you've got all the other books and et cetera. And um, even in the time of Jesus, um, the Jews and Jesus himself did not view the Bible as an errant and, you know, you had to accept everything and didn't even have a definitive list. They yeah, didn't even yeah. come until years later. Yeah. So, 
So yeah. you've got this mentality that you've got to accept everything. And once you get out of that and you go, no, wait a minute, I don't have to accept everything. Let's just yeah. take a look at this from, you know, a different perspective. And you go, well, I, I read the story of Joseph in Genesis and that's a, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. And like, I, what are we accepting though, too? Do you know what right. I mean? Like essentially we're accepting doctrine that has been interpreted in a certain way because, yeah. you know, everybody has their own interpretation and that's essentially what people are asking us to accept or not accept. Yes. And that's another point. Right. Yeah. So what are the point I was going to make is that you read Gen uh, Genesis and you, you come to Joseph and you're hey, that's cool. Uh, you come to Cain, the first murderer, and he wasn't executed. Hey, what's that all about? He was actually protected. And then you come to the flood story and you go, what's with God, you know, drowning the whole planet, including infants yeah. and the unborn? He's not even pro-life. I mean, it's just like all this. And then, of course, the Canaanite conquest and all the other stuff, that the ugly stuff. And so, you know, we've got to get out of that mindset. Like, wait a minute, you, you you can do whatever you want with the Bible, because that's the way we read any other book. And if you think that everything in the Bible is true, then your God needs a therapist. I mean, it's just crazy. So but but most people can't accept that. They can't accept that um, notion because they've been, frankly, brainwashed into thinking of the Bible a certain way. I mean, sure. I, um, so. But let's kind of get into that belief versus faith uh, notion. Um, I had a question here. <laughs> I just have to <laughs> quickly okay. look at it here. Yeah, uh, the difference between belief and faith, and can you have faith beyond belief? You know, um, a faith that's not certain about everything. Yeah. I mean... So a couple things, and I say this in the book, I, I think that, I think I say it in the book, that I think belief maligns faith and that faith is actually what belief probably wished it always could be, <laughs> never could quite yeah. make it to. Um, you know, I've always been a John Mayer fan and I get a lot of uh, flack for that, but I have always been. And what's he, wrong with John Mayer? <laughs> well, I don't know. People tease me about it. I don't know, but I've been a fan since I'm, you know, 19 years old. But doesn't he play with the doesn't he play with the 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 uh, remaining Grateful Dead band now? Yeah, he calls it Dead and Co. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool. Anyway, always been a big fan. And um, I think it's his second um studio album he had had a song called belief and the opening words are something like um belief is a beautiful armor that makes for the heaviest sword you know and then the next line is it's like punching underwater you can, can never really hit what you're trying for and that is really how i see belief it is just something that we wear like a heavy clanking awkward armor and we don't even really know like what our destiny, we don't even know what our aim is half the time. We we say we believe something and we make a, a declarative statement or something very propositional, but we can't actually articulate why we think it and why we're wagering yeah. that this right. is true and good and yeah. right. right. And ultimately will, con will contribute to human flourishing, which most of the time it doesn't. Um, a a 20th, 20th century um, theologian that I really like named Schubert Ogden, he, um, in one of his texts, he talks about faith simply being that life is worth the living of it. Mm -hmm. And 
for me, this is a good enough <laughs> definition of faith. No, you know, I see what you mean. Yeah. If they're, for what, like, you know, it, it matters how I live my life. It matters how I interact with myself, with other people, how I make meaning, how I interact with, you know, my, my own sense of Christianity, if I still even want to continue to do that. And I have faith that it actually will all matter in some way in the end. Yeah. And, yeah. That's good. Because like what what you said earlier about, you know, you don't, it's a, like an armor. It's, it's yeah. and you don't really know what it means, but people, what people are doing is that they're, they're signing on to the statement of faith on their church's website or something, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, here's what we believe at yeah. this church. And then there's that long list and they're almost all the same. I mean, it's just yeah. crazy when yeah. you read them, they're almost, I mean, they're just variations of the same thing. Some of them yeah. are a little bit more clever than others, but, uh, you know, they, they believe the same thing about the Bible and errancy, the same thing about the church, the same thing about, you know, all kinds of things. And, um, and you're like wondering my, my, my biggest one, after I deconstructed evangelical Christianity, I just, even while I was still an evangelical, mm -hmm. I wondered where the hell is the, that's your statement of, of belief and faith. Where's your, where's your statement of what you do? do that makes you yeah. different yeah well and you know it's such an interesting it's such an interesting dance right between right. orthodoxy and orthopraxy and i don't even really yeah, like right. that word orthodox anymore but like there does need to be some sense of distinctive in terms of what we think about yeah. religion from a religious perspective otherwise we can just be humanitarians right we can just be secular humanists and that's totally fine too but if we're bringing Jesus into it, right? If it's well, going to, if there's any sense of spirituality about the work that we do in the world, then there needs to be that correlation piece somehow. Yeah, um, right. And I think that's wow. my question, really. And I know you you asked earlier, and I kind of forgot to get to it. Um, but but that is really my question of liberal and progressive churches as well, because you know evangelical churches are, you know, really great on selling a story. It's not mm -hmm. a good story. I would say it's a toxic one, but they're really good at peddling a solid narrative in a society mm -hmm. and in a time where people are just racked with crisis and everywhere they look, there's just no hope. Right. The world seems to be getting worse. Exactly. And they just want to be a part of something. And, yeah. you know, the evangelical narrative, it tickles itching ears. You know, they offer strong community. They've got these big churches and all of this yeah. money. You know, they have the bandwidth to do that. But they're really low on the social justice stuff and <laughs> like the fellow human. And, you know, you have all these anti-trans bills now that are coming and, you know, people, uh, you know, saying which sure. books can be in what school, whatever. Whatever. They're and they're against have, everything, but they're not. They don't seem to be for anything. <laughs> well, exactly. And then you have the liberal, um, progressive churches, which are doing great at getting out in their communities and picking up social justice causes. And you know, every I, I do a lot of work with um, liberal churches. I always hope I'm never offending anyone, but I'm like, well, this is what I think, so take it or leave it. You don't have to take it, but um, you know, I, they're working with refugees, and I've been a part of churches that you know do border work in border cities with deported, um, mm -hmm. you know, people and you know, uh, uh, reproductive rights and, you know, all of these things that they're doing all the good stuff, the homeless, um, homelessness crisis, all of this, but they may as well be a humanitarian or a charity organization doing it because there is no Christian distinctive. And that's where Jesus, like a wet noodle <laughs> kind of comes in. Or I quoted Nick Cave when he said, um, you know, he experienced Jesus in the Anglican church in Australia as a bloodless, placid savior. 
You know what I mean? Just like a peace loving pacifist hippie. And that really yeah. doesn't work for Christianity either. So it's like there does need to be this balance of like, well, what is our what is our Christian distinctive in the world? Why why do we do this work in the name of Christianity as we see it in the name of Jesus is the way we see him? It, it, but do you know what I mean? And it's yeah, just right. it's just yeah. all complex. There's not a connection between the two. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, because, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. Go, but sorry, I mean, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, to me, Jesus is was a humanist, and and Absolutely. the bulk of what he taught was, um, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemy, uh, don't be retributive, uh, God, because God isn't, and yeah. treat everyone equal. I mean, we don't realize the culture of the first century because we right. there was no middle class. There was it was just right. ninety percent were poor pretty much, and ten percent right. were the elite, and right. he was leveling the playing field by his teaching, and. Right. Paying and saying, "Hey, if you don't pay attention to these poor and marginalized people, you know, you know, you're 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 not pleasing God. You're totally yeah. missed the mark, you know. Yeah. So th there's a place for that too. But like you said, they just they very well could be just a humanitarian organization. Yeah. And now, so like for me, my church is my Rotary Club. I don't know if, sure if you're familiar with it, but but it's a humanitarian organization and we yeah. don't have any politics or any religion. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because to me, if you're a, if you're a, 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 a loving person and you're trying to make the world a better place and you're really, you know, trying to be uh, equitable about, about it. Um, that's what Jesus was trying to get people to do. So I don't have any trouble with that, but now yeah. you, 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 we don't talk about religion that much and that. And for some people that's, they want something else that that talks sure. about religion as well. So sure. I understand yeah. that as well. But I don't have any trouble just being a secular humanist in my yeah. in my with my the my my favorite organization that I'm a part of. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm I'm the same way. Like I have no problem with secular humanism um, or just being a kind person. For me, uh, right. you can keep all the religion you want in the world. I just want to know if you're kind. Well, and if you're kind, then yeah. And very good. But, you know, essentially what I'm talking about here are, you know, people who they're really trying to work out how this all still really matters for them. And by all, I mean, you know, the Christianity that they've been a part of, they've left some of it, they've kept some of it. But, you know, what do they keep and how does it manifest? And, you know, what does it look like going forward? Right. You know, yeah. I, I do what I call theological coaching through my Patreon. So I have a lot of conversations with people who need to better articulate what they think and believe about some of this stuff um, after the ruins of conservative Christianity and evangelicalism. Right. And they need right. to move on from that rhetoric that's just not helpful, but they need new rhetoric and they need new ways of understanding. And I do some sure. of this oh, in good. my work. And I chatted with a young woman one time and she told me that she really wanted to become an atheist. Um, she said, you know, Maria, I... I've just tried the Jesus thing so many times. I've tried the Bible thing. So, and granted, she's done it all in very conservative evangelical context. But I've tried it so much and I've just given it my all too many times. And it is just, it's just not for me. It just never, it never sticks. And I just really want to be an atheist. And I said, all right, well then <laughs> what do you need me for? Like, you know, what are you here for? And, um, you know, because if someone wants to be an atheist, that's totally, <laughs> it's totally okay. I'm not an evangelist for a certain type of uh, Christian engagement. And she said, well, to be honest with you, I can't quite shake um, the concept of hell and rapture and death. Oh, right. okay. And I'm really yeah. scared. I can help with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really scared that I'm going to be yeah. wrong about a lot of oh, this. Oh, my gosh. And oh, if I terrible. end up in the hell that I don't right. actually really. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You can't even question hell because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. 
Yeah. And so I said, well, this is no problem. I said, um, you know, I can, I can help you dismantle this. We can talk about hell and afterlife from a biblical perspective and an ancient understanding and all of these stories and myth and like, I can do this with you. This is no problem. But before we do that, um, I just want to know. So you're telling me that you find nothing compelling about the New Testament anymore. You find nothing compelling about, you know, the life of, of Jesus Christ. You know, you find nothing compelling about all of these imperatives of Christianity uh, that we see coming out of scripture. And she was yeah. like, no, I was like, okay, then atheist it is. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. um, but most people do still find themselves compelled Mm-hmm. by the story of Jesus and how mm-hmm. they understand this to all play out. And I think that is what, that is who my work is, is for essentially. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, yeah, I could, uh, I, I would love to uh, talk to someone like that. Because <laughs> that's, the, that's the exact thing. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I have a deconstruction workshop and we kind of go through that, that kind of a thing, you know, how do you overcome these things that, are programmed into you and yeah. you use uh i use uh cognitive therapy i'm not a therapist but i just i went through therapy so <laughs> I, <laughs> I i i teach what i i already know what i learned and then and then there's another philosophical tool called if then logic that i use that i got from a professor at the university of washington but but yeah, you have to kind of work through that. And then there's the history of where did the doctrine of hell come from and all this yeah. stuff. And yeah. and that really kind of sets you free when you realize yeah. that. Yeah. And then yeah. So um let's kind of pivot a little bit and um go into but just one more one more to summarize the belief versus faith conversation. It sounds like you're saying that, you know, you're okay with faith. You trust that's that everything in life is 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 okay, and it's it, it it's not, you know. I don't have to believe certain doctrines. I just need to trust that that this life is is in there. I can find some meaning in this life, something like that. Yeah, I think meaning in life, meaning in the you know, essentially meaninglessness. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. That, so when you get your head out of the doctrine and the and the sets of beliefs, which tend to be very narrow, of course, in evangelicalism, yeah. Yeah. you you can open up your 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 mind to 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 just to um, to other ways of viewing faith. I call it trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a sense of trust because if you don't have any trust, all of us really have faith. We have yeah. some kind of faith that you yeah. know the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Everything's going to yeah. you know work out this way and that way. We, we, there's a lot of uncertainty, but we have some elementary uh, trust in things. And I think that's, that's where you're going at. Um, so how did you deconstruct from evangelical Christianity and how do you think it was different than what other people went through? Well, at the time we didn't have a, a word like deconstruction and we certainly didn't have you know, the communities we find now on social media and various parts um, of the internet to sort of help us along and be with us on our journey. So it was definitely a lonely one. It was one that took a whole lot of time and one that I had to allow myself at some point to just do what I call in the book coast. (laughs) Um, I theologically coasted for a while. I wasn't going to church. And again, um, in the first chapter of my book, I sort of unpacked this time of my life and I went through a divorce and um, 
you know, uh, you know, we were part of a, a vibrant church and we had all these friends and, you know, who gets the church and the divorce type of thing. And I think that there were a lot of other things that used to be very certain in my life that all of a sudden started becoming uncertain. And like everything else, you know, God and how I understood belief and how I understood, you know, my place in the world and myself in the world and all of it, it all started to change and become more uncertain. And I just thought, you know what? I don't know where I want to go from here, but I'm positive that I don't want to be an atheist. Like I wasn't into going from one militant end of the spectrum of belief to another. Cause that's all atheism is like, it's just militant well, belief against yeah. a certain type of, right, right, you yeah. know what I mean? And I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. That. You know, the new atheism, Richard Dawkins and the anti-God squad and all of those guys there, wasn't yeah. interested. They have elements of fundamentalism. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> they're trying absolutely. to convert people to atheism. <laughs> yes. It is just a, a, a conversion of a different kind. Right. Yeah. And so knowing that I didn't want atheism, I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to coast and I'm going to continue to go about my life. And I'm just going to sort of see what happens and what pops up. And it takes a lot of faith, I think, to do that. that and yeah. mm -hmm. for me, it I can say this now about myself and honor my journey in this way. It took a lot of bravery and courage on my part because all of my family and friends were evangelical. I love my oh, family. Um, yeah. But to this day, they're still like, I don't really know what they think about my book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's just, you know, I, I had a lot of conversations that were hard in the beginning. And then those conversations stopped. And um, I do a lot of, of good work in the world now. I know that I do, but we just don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I hear you. Mm -hmm. And so there was that piece and then there was the, okay, my whole life needs to change. I think I just need a new scenery. I need a new job. I need a new opportunity. I need to travel mm -hmm. more. Like mm -hmm. I, I was living on my own after being married for seven years. And I was, I was a very independent married person as it was. So, and I was independent before I got married. So it was no problem for me to live alone and be independent again. But all of a sudden, just life as I knew it was just shifting on every level. It could, it could shift really. And so I just, I coasted and I was working in a theological environment. I was working um, in the seminary at the time I was in administration and I was helping them start a new school and redo their marketing and get their enrollment up. And I was traveling and lecturing and speaking and I was gone a lot. And it was a really kind of cool time, but I was just like, I am not going to feel the pressure for once in my life. I'm not going to feel the pressure to have to have it figured out because, you know, in evangelicalism, there's such a sense of supremacy and there is such a sense of exceptionalism and God has a plan for your life and you're a believer and you are saved and you are favored. And, you know, my whole life I've been, you know, told by the likes of people like that, that I have a, a really big calling on my life and God is going to do something amazing in my life. And do, do you know what I mean? And so yeah, for one, yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to shake all of this expectation mm -hmm. and pressure. And I am just going to be, I am going to live. I am going to brunch on a Sunday morning instead of church. And that is what I'm going to do for the foreseeable future. And I'm not going to read theological texts. And I'm, I don't even know if I want to read the Bible. And, you know, I am um, now divorced and I got married in evangelical culture, which means I was a product of purity culture. And now what do I think about sex and marriage and monogamy yeah, and yeah. all yeah. of that now? You know, I had to re-engage everything. And people thought I, I was nuts, but it felt really really it's good a, it does it feels good when you get out of that um, and give yourself permission to do it yeah 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 so and that's very cool and but, you but know over, a, yeah go ahead sorry, go 
I was just going to say, you know, over the next few years in that time of my life, I got some amazing opportunities. Um, I talk about in the book, you know, I, I went and I lived in the South of France for a while. And, you know, during that, that period of my life, you know, I, I learned more about myself and life and, you know, God and faith and all of these things. And I could have ever learned in a church or a seminary or anything like that. It was just like, you know, I was shooting across the sky in terms of what I was experiencing in life. And it was beautiful. And it gave me that respite and rest I needed. It gave me that time to coast to the point where in some years, um, I had enough strength and sort of gumption to come back around to theological study and understanding. Um, and I, that's when I started in with radical theology and philosophical right. deconstruction and post-theist uh, thought and those kinds of things. And that's where things really started moving for me. That's great. So, so I mean, what advice do you give people who, like you, you talked about your family and friends and react to you? <laughs> uh, I understand exactly what you mean. I could tell you lots of stories, but what, what, what advice do you give people? Like, how do you handle that if you're deconstructing? Yeah. It's so tough. It's, I mean, it's, it's still tough. I want to be careful what I say because my mom, God bless her. She, you know, she loves me. She and I know watch no. she, yeah, she, she listens to a lot and she watches a lot and she does her best to support me. I don't really know what she thinks of my work in my book, but I know she, in her own way, she tries to <laughs> be there for what I'm doing. Um, you know, there, there's just, you, you have to have really, um, a strong sense of self. And you need to take time to build that if it's not there. And for me, it wasn't. And I knew I needed to take time to build that. And I needed to lift that cause up at all costs. Like at some point, you've got to put yourself first. Because like we just spoke about a moment ago, coming out of evangelicalism, you're the last, <laughs> really, right? To be put yeah. first. It's always right. God. It's always whoever needs you at church you know, mm -hmm. crucify your flesh sort of thing. Um, again, damaging and toxic in so many ways. So you really need to make sure that you take the time to do what you need to do to heal. Sometimes that's therapy. Sometimes it's just brunch and mimosas. I don't know. It's different for everyone. Right. Um, for me, it was really a variety of things. Travel played a huge role, you know, making new friends, getting in new communities, sinking yes. myself into work. Um, things that were life-giving, simple things, maybe a museum or something I found find beautiful. I, I still like cathedrals and like sacred architecture are still some of my favorite places to explore in the world. You know, growing up Catholic, I've clocked mm -hmm. a lot of European cathedrals in my day. You know, during the time I was coasting, I would get a cup of coffee and a muffin and I would go to St. Paul's Cathedral in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I would sit at the back when there weren't any masses and I would just look up and journal and read and eat my um, muffin. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't yeah. care what anybody thought that uh, like th there were so many judgments of like, Oh, well, she's still walking into cathedral. So it must mean something. Yeah. It means that I love beauty and I love imagery, religious imagery of the human ingenuity of like how artists through the years have expressed, you know, interaction with God. And here sure. I have it in a dome, like with gold. Right. Yeah, I'm here. Right. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? So yeah. really your well-being needs to be bar none and it needs to be lifted up, you know, at all costs. Yeah, absolutely. You sort absolutely. of can't, can't care, but it's hard. I still care. I still get hurt sometimes and I'm still very deeply misunderstood. And I think for someone like me, who's 
the, the, I mean, the book is the blood, sweat and tears of not only like my life and my toiling, but like my research and my theological pursuits. And I mean, I have three seminary degrees and I finished my doctorate last year and, you know, I've done so much studying and so much travel and, um, you know, I've, I've worked at the intersections of, of so much, you know, to have your work and that journey be invalidated by people that you love or, you know, that are closest to you or friends that maybe don't understand. It's a hurtful thing. It is. But it is, it's just a product no, of it, the whole messy. Yeah. You're torn. Of- you're, you're torn. Cause you, you love them and, and, and you, but, but you, you have to, like you say, you have to take a stand, be your own self, give yourself permission. And if mm-hmm. you, if you're feeling those, you know, like that fear that the other person, you that person you shared about, or you feel guilty or something, you might need to <laughs> take a deconstruction workshop or get some help, like from someone like you or myself and, you know, uh, sort out how to deprogram yourself from that stuff. Cause it can kind of drive you nuts, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. then um, once you kind of get free from that, just, just like don't have an agenda, but just, just, just look at things differently and see where you land and do some, do some research if that's what you want to do. Or, you know, like you said, don't travel, do something else, get your mind off of it and, and see yeah. the world in a different way. And then to come like back to it when you're ready. Yeah, exactly. When you're ready, if you're ever ready. And maybe some people aren't like this yeah, gal that came to right. me, she wanted she out right. and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, no, no, I understand um, that. I, I've, I've, I've known people who have the pendulum has swung all the way over, and I just tell, I just say, hey, you know what? As long as you um, uh, have an ethic that's a love ethic in your life, yeah. and you don't become this bitter, resentful, you know, harmful individual, I don't care <laughs> what yeah. you do, where you land. Yeah, what, what, is it, what does it matter to us? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, and and I think one thing to remember too is that you know, people who are offended by the type of work that you do or I do or whatever, they take it as such an affront They they really feel like they're being attacked. Like yeah. all of a sudden, they, I'm, they take I'm, it personally. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm different than you. And well, somehow in their mind that equals me attacking them. And I just don't know where they get that. But yeah, well, I think part of it is that like w- when they actually understand what we're saying, um, they will, they, there's this thought that goes through their mind that, well, if that's true, then, you know, everything in my life is, I've been, is wrong. Almost everything, you know, is, and so that's, they're not ready to face that. You know, you have to be ready to face your own, your own beliefs and practices that you've, you've gone through Uh, or else you don't want to go there. It's too painful. Right. Yeah. So, and it, and it needs to be able to be engaged on a critical level. And if you're scared of that, then that says a whole lot more about your your belief than than anything else. If it can't take being it should right exactly. Chaotic. And that's the thing that they, they probably know that too. Oh, I can't stand up to this. What's going on? So we're running out of time. But one more yeah, quick yeah. question. And this is not just, but I love the way you came out with this in your book. Every once in a while, you'd say something like. Uh, is there something out there undeconstructible? <laughs> is that is that something you're searching for, or what does that mean? Yeah, that is a great question. I'm not even sure that I can. I don't think that the the undeconstructible, if such a thing um, exists in that way, is definable at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I was using it in the context of 
you know, radical theology uses a lot of apophatic language to describe God. So it's a negative language. So where we would say to know God, it would be to unknow God and to contain God, to uncontain God. And it's not a, a great way to use language, but language always falls so short. You know, language is our very best attempt to sort of throw a cloak on the invisible and describe what we're thinking and feeling. And it's just really hard, right? So we use this apophatic way of, of speaking. And John Caputo actually calls it wounded language. <laughs> it's sort of broken mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these things that, that we do it, within radical theology, some would say, not all radical theologians, um, but some would say that all of it is only loyal to one thing, and that is to the undeconstructible. Um, and that essentially would be that whisper and that ghost that haunts mm. and taunts us and comes to disrupt and interrupt our life and sort of unhinge and disjoint everything that we thought was so perfectly structured and put together. All of a sudden, you know, um, it just takes that one little screw out and it all starts to get, you know, a little rickety. And, you know, John Caputo also says that if we, ignore this disruption, if we ignore this sense of ghostly haunting, that Mm. it forces us to sort of live in utter despair. Because once you've been awakened to the fact that there might be a difference out Mm. there, um, then you can't possibly go back to life as you knew and business as usual. And that is a very exciting invitation. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, Maria, this has been uh, a pleasure to have you on uh, the Spiritual Brew Pub. Thank uh, you. Um, thank you for the time that you've taken to explain your book. And where where can people go to just just Google it and go on Amazon, or do you have a website too? Yeah, uh, all of that. I mean, it's really available anywhere you can buy books online. I mean, most people buy their books on Amazon. You can get it at mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, Target, wherever online. Um, you can go to my website, which is just mariafrancescafrench.com. It certainly links to the book and it links to everything else I'm doing. I have a Pathos column. I have a really active Patreon where I publish stuff every week. Um, I am, you know, teaching in various places. I've had a podcast. So anything I'm doing is, is on my website. So you can, yeah, just head there to learn Maria more. Francesca. French.com. French.com. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll put your, we'll spill that out in the, the excellent <laughs> summary of this podcast so people can find it. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks again for joining me. Um, Thank this has been well. excellent and, um, folks, uh, thanks for joining us on the spiritual brew pub. We've got some excellent guests uh coming up uh uh jennifer bird is one and also brad jersak so stay tuned for that and maria until next time uh uh we'll see you next time thank you so much hopefully we'll be interacting because we have the same publisher i'm publishing a book with choir as well congratulations how exciting yes it's coming out in june may or june so yeah very good so, okay. Well, thank you, everyone. We'll, we'll see you next time. Enjoy responsibly.